This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Today on the Illini Enquirer podcast, let's talk about the next big domino that could fall in the college athletics shifting landscape. Welcome in. I'm Jeremy Warner, Illini Enquirer publisher. Of course, we've had some tectonic changes here in college athletics the last couple of years. Texas and Oklahoma on their way, leaving the Big 12 to the SEC. Now the Big Ten last week adds USC and UCLA. We talked all about it earlier in the week. Ryan Abraham, who covers USC for uscfootball.com, part of 24-7 Sports. Go back and listen to that one. Ryan gave us great insight on uh, the move from USC and UCLA's perspective. But now we know who's next, who's the big white whale. It's Notre Dame. And could Notre Dame finally be leveraged into joining the Big Ten. They are the the big fish, as I said, for the Big Ten. They long have been. And now can the Big Ten leverage them enough with their media rights deal compared to what used to be a great media rights deal for Notre Dame and their independence with NBC, now that looks like pennies compared to what the Big Ten is going to bring in with its next deal. Is that enough leverage to finally get Notre Dame to join the Big Ten? Coming up, we talk with Matt Fortuna from The Athletic. He covers college football at large, but also uh, really knows Notre Dame well as part of the Shamrock podcast as part of The Athletic. We talk to him, and before we get out of here today, we also have the Rapid Fire Friday. Joey Wagner and Trevor Felice join me for that. But let's talk about it. Can Kevin Warren, he's back. I don't know if he was ever here, but he just made a huge move, a legacy move for Kevin Warren, who had a rough first couple of years as the Big Ten commissioner. Can he wrangle in the Fighting Irish? Matt Fortuna joins us next on the Illini Enquirer podcast. Matt Fortuna covers college football at large for the athletic, obviously in Big Ten territory in the Chicagoland area. And you can hear him on the Shamrock podcast uh, talking about Notre Dame. So that's why I figured we'd have Matt on to talk about some new things happening in college football, Matt. I, I, let's just get into it. How did college athletics change with uh, USC and UCLA now heading to the Big Ten? You know, Jeremy, I, I, I think there are these gravitational pulls that for, for several years now have basically led all roads to the SEC and the Big Ten, right? It, it's sort of a mini professional model where you've got two networks broadcasting each respective conference, much like CBS with the ABC, uh, with the AFC, uh, Fox with the NFC. We've now got ESPN with, uh, excuse me, ESPN with uh, the SEC and Fox with the Big Ten. Uh, but but it definitely happened a little sooner than I expected. Now, the timing in retrospect makes sense, right? The Big Ten is currently negotiating its next TV rights deal. There had been some public pauses along the way there that, that made you scratch your head a little bit and wonder what was taking so long. And, Obviously, we got that answer with last week's news, but uh, now I think we're all kind of in wait and see mode to see how quickly do more people latch on because um, I think it's an interesting holding pattern right now. There aren't too many programs not in those two conferences right now 
that are going to automatically make those individual schools richer um, in those conferences outside of Notre Dame. Uh, and I, I wonder now, is that next step to make everyone whole or is it to fend off the other? Because it, it seems like it's a kill or be killed world out there right now in college athletics. And so um, I wonder, does the SEC move next just to fend off anyone the Big Ten might want? Uh, or is the Big Ten just going to wait and see what Notre Dame eventually does? Yeah, I want to get into the Notre Dame side, of course, Matt. But, I mean, Kevin Warren, like, let's be honest, his first two years did not inspire a lot of confidence. I, I, I didn't know what he was – direction he was taking the Big Ten. I didn't know how he felt about anything. He seemed reactive with all the, the COVID stuff. Um, it just – it wasn't strong leadership his first two years. And it was a tough two years, of course. But this felt like a, yeah, I'm here mode. Uh, move for for Kevin Warren and even if it was USC and UCLA reaching out to him like Kevin had to do this and have a killer instinct right to, to take from the Pac-12 and and ruin his alliance what did you make of that and and the the path he's setting the Big Ten on now yeah absolutely Jeremy I mean I think it's funny I think the more I think about it, commissioners everywhere, whether it's college sports, pro sports, uh, fantasy football as we saw with Mike Trout a couple weeks ago it's probably the least popular position you can have in sports, even if it's the most powerful position, but by most accounts, um, I, I thought in some ways, again, we don't know all the details. Kevin Warren kind of became the, the public punching bag for, for the big Ten's COVID fallout, which again is what you sign up for when you uh, take on that job, but he had just gotten there. I think the presidents were, were pulling most of the strings behind the scenes there. And, and that led to what happened that year. And in this regard, again, you know, he's in those meetings with Fox. Fox is un undoubtedly running some numbers for him. Presidents are undoubtedly in his ear telling him what, what they should do or what the, the conference should do. I mean, I do think it's fascinating that in his less than three full years on the job, I, I believe 11 of the 14 Big Ten schools, old Big Ten schools, have turned over presidents or chancellors during that time. So the power dynamics of that conference are shifting really by the day. But from a public perception standpoint, because again, you get too much credit when you don't deserve it. You get too much blame when you don't deserve it. Uh, I mean, I, this is a legacy play in some ways, right? I mean, unfortunately, people were going to remember him as the commissioner who oversaw the, the, the wacky 2020 year of Big Ten football when there was almost a mutiny on his hands. And right now, this was the killer instinct that I think, like you said, a lot of people wanted to see. I mean, go back to, what, 11 months ago, 10 months ago, when the, the Great Alliance came out. Um, we all kind of laughed at it at the time, but, but one of the biggest head scratchers for me, aside from the fact that this wasn't enforceable, was what's the Big Ten doing here? Like the Big Ten holds all the cards here. They're the most powerful conference. Why would they stoop to the level of the Pac-12 and ACC, for lack of a better term, term and help them out? Um, and, and we saw now, uh, whether it was a long play or not, uh, certainly Kevin Warren did what had to be done and his conference and both, both he and his conference are better off for it. As you said, Matt, like when, when you add two, all of a sudden you're like, okay, where's this going? Can they add four more, get to 20 and have these super leagues or whatever. Um, but as you said, like, you gotta, you gotta strengthen the pie. You gotta make the pie bigger for everybody else. that's already in the big 10 Notre Dame's the white whale, right? Like that's the team that can do it for any other conference. Like Notre Dame is going to grow your pie. So what did this move by the big 10, like how much pressure and what kind of pressure did it put on Notre Dame? It definitely is making them look at things differently, I think. I mean, I, I don't know if a decision is imminent. Um, 
but but look, like every time something happens in college sports, that's like the next question, right? Oh, is Notre Dame going to have to give up their independence in football? And we went through this circus 11 months ago when Texas, Oklahoma went to the SEC. And at that point, I thought, no, actually, like it look at, at the time, it looked like the 12-team playoff was going to happen. And Notre Dame had a seat at that table due in large part to their athletic director, Jack Swarbrick being one of the four men who helped devise that 12-team playoff. So I, I thought last summer when there was chaos everywhere and there were alliances and this and that, I thought, you know, right now is when you see the value of independence because Notre Dame really doesn't have a thing to worry about. Their, their seat at the table is secure. They're going to be in the play or have access to the playoff at its next formation. And they're the only program in the country that's not all that stressed out right now. I, I do think the calculus has changed with this Big Ten move this past week. I, I just think um, – you look at the financial projections, Big Ten schools will probably be making north of $100 million a year in annual payouts from the conference. Notre Dame's making 15 to 20 right now from NBC. And I know that deal's up for renewal, I think, at 25, 26. I know they're getting maybe 10 million or so a year from Olympic sports uh, in the ACC. But we can look at the COVID year, right, to see what they are as a whole from the, as, from the ACC when they were in uh, as a full football member. That was $36 million a year. Now that was great for the ACC. It wasn't so great for Notre Dame or so great for Notre Dame in relation to what they could be making um, in the big 10. And the other part of it too, um, our idea of a conference, I think has shifted over the last eight days, right? Like Notre Dame independence is such a, a strong focus of their own identity as a university, because they look at themselves as a national and in some ways, international university that likes to play in NFL stadiums and play coast to coast and take their, their show on the road. You're not giving up any of that, in my opinion, if you join the Big Ten tomorrow. Like, the Big Ten is literally coast to coast right now. You could still play USC and maybe even UCLA every year. You, you have that guaranteed game to get out west. You could still get east and, and get with all your alumni there. You're not going to be marginalized as another Midwestern football power in a league full of them, because it's no longer a Midwestern conference. It's a national conference. Yeah, man. And I want to ask you this because, you know, around here, around big 10 circles, Notre Dame can be thought of as haughty, right? Like, Oh, they think they're better uh, with this independence thing. Can you explain why independence has been so valuable to them and when it isn't valuable? Like when isn't independence valuable enough for them anymore? Yeah. I mean, it, it's valuable in their freedom and their flexibility. I mean, when it started, when that NBC deal started in the early nineties, I mean, financially it was very fruitful for them. Now it's not so much anymore. It's become more of a tax than anything else, but you know, again, to have the freedom to, to play, to make your own schedule, to protect most of your rivals, to get out west for your season ending game at Stanford or at USC every single year um, to almost every year strategically have your bye week be right at the midway point, whether that's game five, six, or seven. Um, there's a lot of freedom and flexibility um, that, that comes with, with that. Now, again, uh, you join the ACC as a partial member for football. Um, I don't remember the exact number off the top of my head, but if you look back at the schedules, you know, the Clemsons of the world, the Florida States, more often than not, they're getting a bye week before they play Notre Dame. Like, there is that um, little brother syndrome, if you will, that they get taxed on anytime they're they're doing conference business because – they're not there. I, I do find it kind of funny. I mean, being at ACC spring meetings in May down in Millie Island, Florida, um, you know, you would occasionally see Jack Swarbrick, the Notre Dame athletic director, walk out of those um, ACC AD meetings and just go outside and be on the phone. And 
it's clear that they're talking about football right now and he's recused. Now, in some ways, those meetings could be a drag and it's even better for, for, for Swarbrick and for Notre Dame to, to not be a part of those. In other ways, it's like, yeah, this is a little awkward. Like they're talking behind his back right now. And oh, by the way, every time they talk about their financial struggles, the league that is, Jack, come back in here, please help us out because he can make them whole pretty quickly. So uh, there are a lot of interesting dynamics to it. I think we all you know, have a loose understanding of the, the hundred plus year old dynamics of how they were rebuffed as a Catholic institution uh, a century ago and, and had to take their show on the road and play whoever would play them. And that's how they garnered all this national support as this independent football program. And again, that's very central to their identity. I think when you look at the dynamics of that school, keep in mind, I think it's less than 10,000 undergrad. It's a very small school, relatively speaking, uh, that has a very large following. Uh, you're, you're liable to run into Notre Dame graduates in any part of this world. Uh, a lot of their most powerful alums and trustees um, have spoken openly about how they had roommates from China or from here, or from wherever. Like it, it just isn't, you know, and again, I don't mean to, to marginalize or regionalize, you know, big public schools, but if you go to Michigan, you're probably going to school with mostly kids from Michigan or, you know, I grew up in New York. There are a lot of New York, New Jersey people who go to Michigan as well, um, or Illinois. It's a, the flagship school for, for the state of Illinois. So I, I think part of it is identity. Um, I think you have a lot of old heads on that board who, who never want to give that up. And I can understand that. But again, you run those projections out year after year. I mean, over the length of this ACC deal, which goes to 2036, we're talking probably close to a billion dollars in lost revenue um, that would come from that. And I, I just think at some point um, they were comfortable not making as much money to keep their identity and make it unique to themselves. But at some point that just becomes way too much to, to bridge and make up, especially when you talk about the rat race of coaching hires, support hires, facilities, you name it. Um, I, I think there are starting to be people on that campus, not in athletics, who wonder why is athletics making more money to support themselves right now. So Matt, how do you think Notre Dame plays this? We, we know the ACC grant of rights uh, locks those schools in, but Notre Dame's a little bit different, right? So like, what, how do you see them playing this out? Is it ma making a decision this summer? Is it making a decision in two years or how do you see this playing out? Yeah, it's interesting because NBC owns their football rights. Notre Dame would not have to break a grant of rights for football properties in order to leave the ACC full time. They would just have to sacrifice the grant of rights for all their ACC sports, which is not insignificant. But again, we're talking pennies on the dollar related to what everyone else in the ACC would have to give up. So I, I do think it's financially doable if, say, they want to join the Big Ten or whomever tomorrow. Um, I, I don't know if a decision is imminent. Uh, obviously, they're, they're talking amongst themselves. And they're running the numbers like me and you are, and, and, and they're looking at reality. I think this is a decision that's going to be not made in a nutshell um, for, from the highest voices at the university, for multiple voices at the university. I don't think it's as simple as, you know, a coaching hire where the AD makes the call and the president was in Rome like he was this time uh, when they hired Marcus Freeman. And that's that. He just proves it over Zoom. I think this is going to be... Uh, a number of thorough conversations at all levels of the university. Um, it, it would make sense that, hey, the Big Ten is currently negotiating their media rights deal. They want an answer right now so they could get more money out of Notre Dame and Notre Dame uh, in some ways would be pressured in that decision. But I, I just don't think that's going to happen. I think the Big Ten's 
doing just fine financially with what they just were able to pull off last week. Obviously, they will welcome Notre Dame. Um, there is a leverage play here. I'm sure Notre Dame wants to explore, you know, who will our travel partners be? What can we get out of this? What will our, our buy-in, so to speak, uh, be? How long will we have to wait to receive a full payout from the Big Ten, much the way Rutgers and Maryland had to borrow against that for a while when they assimilated into the conference? So I, I think there are a lot of I's to dot, a lot of T's to cross. Uh, I absolutely think it's on the table right now. I just don't know if we're going to get an answer anytime soon. Is there any way Notre Dame plays in any other conference besides the Big Ten? I don't think so. I mean, look, I'm sure the SEC would love to have them, and I'm sure they'll do what they can to get them. I, I just have a really hard time seeing Notre Dame not in the Big Ten, or if they go to another conference, like if they go to a conference, not go to the Big Ten. I mean, it just it makes too much sense. A lot of like-minded institutions, a lot of uh, similarities at the top academically. Look, Kevin Warren, the Big Ten Commissioner, is an Notre Dame law graduate. I, I mean, there's familiarity, familiarity there as well. And again, anyone would be happy to have Notre Dame and the money they bring. But, but I will say this for the SEC, at least as we speak, and this can always change. It's still pretty regional as a conference right now. Uh, and I don't mean that insulting. Obviously, it means more down there from a football standpoint, and they're the best at football. But like, they haven't, like, the travel situation there isn't as dire and, and as challenging as it is for, for Big Ten schools right now. So um, I, I don't know how much of that's by design versus just the way the cards have fallen, but I, I do think the Big Ten is the ideal fit for Notre Dame if and when they decide to join a conference full-time. How do you think joining the Big Ten outside of finances, like, does it change Notre Dame at all if they would? Like, now that you were against Ohio State, Michigan, USC, I know they play against USC and, and had a long rivalry with Michigan. Um, does that change a lot about Notre Dame? Because the schedule gets tougher, even though they've had tough schedules, right? Yeah, I mean, I really don't. In this iteration of the Big Ten, I really don't. I understood the concerns last week before USC and UCLA were there. Now, I just I don't think a whole lot fundamentally changes. I'm sure some people – um, with deeper ties to that school personally than I, I have would disagree in some regard, but I, I really have a hard time seeing, I don't think you're sacrificing a whole lot of, or any of your identity nationally or internationally, if you do it and you're absolutely uh, challenging yourself more on the football field. I, I don't think there's any question. Um, my colleague Pete Sampson is working on a story now looking at what Notre Dame schedules are with five ACC games a year versus what they could be as a full-time member of the big 10. And we are going back and forth last night of Texas, and it's not even comparable. I mean, you look at the mid-tier, maybe at the top tier, when you talk about Clemson versus Ohio State, et cetera, you know, the best of the best of those conferences can be pretty similar. But um, I don't think Notre Dame has lost since 2017 to uh, an unranked ACC team. Like, I don't think Miami was the only game where they were actually upset in, in Vegas in 2017. Um, like that th there's just not a whole lot of meat on the bone once you get past that top tier of ACC football. I mean, there's some competitive programs, but nothing that's really will threaten you uh, on a week to week basis the way, you know, take Indiana, for example, right? I mean, they weren't great last year and they're not known as football power, but they went eight and five in 2019. And I believe they were six and two in 2020 and had some really good wins. Even Illinois, I mean, again, five and seven, a rebuilding program. They won at Penn State. They won at Minnesota. They beat Nebraska last year, their first year under new coaching regime. I just think it's a tougher, more physical brand of football where there truly are no weeks off. Hate to put you on the spot, Matt. Do you think this happens? If you're going to give me an evergreen timeline, yes, I think it does. Um, I, I, I don't know when. 
Um, I, I, I think the play, the playbook that I keep being told from, from folks with ties in their name right now is look back at 2012. Like when, when the Big East was falling, it was, oh my God, they got to do something uh, because they were still full football independent at that point in time. And Jack Sorbic had even publicly floated the idea of perhaps joining one conference for one year and then going back to whatever the reconfigured Big East, eventually the American Athletic Conference ended up becoming. Um, obviously they figured out the deal with the ACC. I think it's been a fruitful marriage for both sides, uh, but I don't think anything is all that imminent with Notre Dame. I could be wrong because I didn't see the USC and UCLA stuff happening as quickly as it did. But I just think when, when you know, money rules all here and it, it's, makes too much sense for this marriage not to eventually happen. So with UCLA, USC here, Matt, is there a manifest destiny? Like, do you think the Big Ten is destined to take more West teams or the SEC is going to steal? Like, or could we take a break here? And could we settle at 16 teams for these two conferences? And, you know, can we still have two or three other not quite as powerful, but power conferences? Yeah, I can see it getting pretty darn big in both the Big Ten and the SEC. I don't think that's imminent, but again, I think it's inevitable that, you know, like Oregon's not going to be left out of whatever the future of college football looks like if there are two conferences. They're just not. They're too powerful. Um, they're, they're in a Pacific Northwest region where there aren't a whole lot of other big football brands other than Washington. And you've got maybe the most powerful guy in sports and Phil Knight writing your checks. I don't think you're going to stiff arm Nike from whatever the future of college football is. Same with, you know, North Carolina, right? One of the biggest brands in the country, both academically and, and athletically. I just think, um, you know, there's an inevitability here that eventually everything's going to gravitate toward those two conferences. I, I do think, you know, particularly with those ACC schools, it's not very easy um, to get that to happen because of the grain of rights that ties you toward that conference financially for the next 14 years and all the money you'd be sacrificing in the short term, but by leaving that league. Now, I think that changes if Notre Dame makes a move because I think there are people in the ACC who are talking to their lawyers who would say, look, our agreement with you guys is fundamentally altered by Notre Dame not being here right now. Like us not having five football games a year against one of the biggest brands out there, that's going to change us. And this is what we signed up for. And we're out of here the first time, first sign we can get out of here. So I, I, I'm more fascinated in how it plays out than what plays out. Because again, I just think the way things are going right now, the money's too big in the big time of the SEC for, for a lot of these programs to go anywhere but there. Uh, but, but there are a lot of legal hurdles and dominoes to fall between now and then. Um, last year at this time, we didn't think the Big 12 would survive. Now we don't think the Pac-12 would survive. What happens with those two conferences? I mean, we have a Western part of the the country, right? <laughs> like those, there's good football there. There's some good football fans there. Like, does it consolidate? Um, you know, Oregon State, Washington State, are they going to be in the Mountain West? Like, what? How do you think that all settles? Yeah, I think the Big Twelve is a wild card right now because they have a new commissioner who's not really beholden to the old way of doing things. By all accounts, Brett Yormark, who multiple big athletic big 12 athletic directors were texting me last week saying i'm googling this guy do you know anything about him we've never heard of him because he's not from the college sports sector he got on a zoom call last friday with those ad's and he won them over very quickly he, he told them he's going to be aggressive there's no reason this couldn't be 
you know, everyone's in the race to be number three now, for lack of a better term, right? There's no reason in the Big 12's mind that that conference can't be the next best thing outside of the SEC and Big 10 right now. And look, they've been very aggressive with their, their methods and their messaging as far as we're going to try to annex part or half of what's left of the Pac-12 right now. The two Arizona schools, Colorado and Utah, uh, Oregon and Washington as well. But, but I do think George Klavkov is a savvy commissioner himself. I mean, to your earlier point, right? This isn't George Klavkov's fault that USC and UCLA left, but it happened under his watch, and he's going to get be the guy who becomes a face for everything that went wrong here, even though his predecessor, Larry Scott, contributed largely to, to the situation the Pac-12 finds it in today. Um, I, I personally think, look, if Oregon or Washington could have got out yesterday, they would have been out by now. I, I, I don't know if the timing's right there. And as long as those two are in the Pac-12, I think the Pac-12 is more profitable for those lurking schools than any consolidation of the Big 12. Because again, the Big 12 as it stands today, I believe it's 10 teams. I think they'll have 12 next year and then they'll go back to 10. And I could be wrong with the math of the years, but they're going to be changing forms as long as Oklahoma and Texas are still there for the next couple of years. Adding four schools, I just don't know if that's going to make that conference richer. Um, I might make it more stable because they're next up for the media rights renegotiations, but I, ju I just don't know what it will do for those individual schools. So I think there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of exploration happening all around the country right now. I, I think it would be very rash and immature, uh, premature, I should say, for anyone in either of those conferences outside of Oregon and Washington, the two big ones, to, to make a quick move because I just don't know if they know what this thing's going to look like in a couple of years. So Matt, like this is obviously changing college athletics um, and college football. We'll have an expanded college football playoff at some point, And now we'll just have more big 10 SEC teams in it seemingly. Um, but for, I'm thinking of like school, like Illinois, an Illinois football program. I think this is all a good thing in that you're in one of those conferences, right? Like your resources are going to be so greater than, the similar school in the Pac-12 or the Big 12 or the ACC. Um, but when it comes to winning Big Ten championships, let's be honest, we're not even talking about that with Illinois now. So does does much change for them? Is is this a much better thing than negative thing? Like, I, I know Illinois probably, are they ever going to have a chance to win a Big Ten championship again? I, I, I doubt it uh, with the, the conference they're going to be in, but that kind of was the case anyway. And now they're just going to get the resources Um that, that all these other schools, comparable programs elsewhere aren't getting. Yeah, I mean, you know, I got asked this yesterday, essentially, Matt, do you like what's happening right now? And I thought that was a good question because, like, it's really good for business, personally, for us in the media. So it would be hypocritical of you to come out here and say, oh, this is the worst thing ever and yada, yada, yada. Um, you know, it, 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 it's, I wouldn't call it a money grab, but the finances of the markets are dictating all these moves. And I just think that's something that's beyond a lot of individuals control right now, because if they don't make these moves, they're at risk to be killed. Now, big picture, looking at a timeline, maybe 10 years from now, where we do probably have that big 10 SEC only division or sector of college football. And it's essentially a semi-pro league that just has worse football than the actual pros. Yeah, I can understand why people look that far down the road and think, this isn't good. Like you mentioned Illinois, like what's Vanderbilt getting out of being in the SEC right now, right? Like they have a seat at the table. They're going to go one and 11 every year in that expanded SEC probably, right? Or in most years. Um, 
So I wonder, you know, after this next step of everyone consolidating toward these two conferences, what's the next step after that? Because um, I don't think equal revenue sharing will be the answer because again, the Alabamas of the world are going to wonder why we're making as much money as the South Carolinas of the world when we're the ones pulling our weight financially here and bringing the actual value. So, so that's something I, I do have no idea and truly wonder about in the future, right? What happens to um, the mid-tier to lower-tier tier schools in those big two conferences that have no realistic chance of competing for, at least on the football field, uh, competing for a, a conference championship? I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a weird dynamic, right, where, you know, I'm sure – I don't want to generalize, but, you know, most fans, most schools in those two big conferences are happy because their conferences are getting better and we're getting richer. Yep. What's that mean, right? It means stability, but like, is it really going to help you competitively if you're on the same financial track as Ohio State is? Ohio State's still going to have better facilities and get better players and win more games. Like that's the reality of the situation here. Whereas pro sports, like outside of baseball where there's no cap, like I don't care what the Bulls finances are right or the, the Knicks or whoever like no one's watching the NBA finals thinking like man look the Celtics like man they really bought their way to the finals this year against the Warriors and I'm glad they're doing well no like all you care about are the games so it, it's a weird dynamic it's an interesting dynamic um I'll be curious to see you know the next step which is the fallout of that and, and, and what are these schools really want out of this other than the dollar which is only going to go so far because look even the ACC and again, there, there's an existential crisis there as far as how are we even going to compete in future years. Clemson still won multiple national championships on the football field. Virginia in men's basketball. North Carolina and Duke have still been pretty darn good at men's basketball, despite the financial disadvantages, despite not being able to afford to pay their coaches what you know even some mid-tier SEC programs are right now. So um, money solves a lot of issues. Um, there's a big security blanket that comes with that competitively, you still need to figure out the best way to allocate those resources. And uh, again, if, if other people have just as much money as you do, I don't know how you fix that problem. Matt Fortuna uh, covers college athletics for the athletic college football. And uh, Matt, like this is a, a gift, I guess, for conference media day season, right? Yeah, really. <laughs> Next week, big 12. I mean, they're getting started and it's going to be something. I was not going to go to big 10 because it's an indie now. Now I'm like, yeah, I should, I should probably drive over for that one. <laughs> yeah, kind of have to. Well, Matt, hey, thanks for your expertise, man. Thanks for the insight. Thanks, Sherry. I'll see you down the road. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Friday, so that means it's time for the Rapid Fire Friday here at Illini Inquirer. 
And Trevor Ruiz, let's get into it, man. Question number one, given all the wild realignment news that seems to be ever developing, who else would you like to see the Big Ten add, either from the ACC or the Pac-12? Every answer starts with Notre Dame, right? And I guess we can kind of say they're from the ACC for the, the purposes of this as an independent school. Uh, but that's the big one. It's the biggest fish out there. It has the potential to save the ACC in whatever capacity or has the potential to really continue to take this profile the Big Ten has and elevate it to another stratosphere. Like, after that, it's it's kind of gravy, right? But I, I would look at Notre Dame. I would look at Washington. I would look at Oregon. I still think you need a West Coast pod in, in some capacity out there. Those two schools would fit that. When do you try to get into the ACC? I don't know. Do you try to sneak a, a North Carolina or a Duke? I, I don't I don't know. To me, I, I'd rather get Notre Dame and build a pot out west. And maybe that includes Stanford as well. But Notre Dame and then someone west, Washington, Oregon, Stanford. Yeah, Notre Dame's the big one. I think that's what we're waiting on, whether it's a month from now or two years from now. I think Notre Dame is the big domino and that the Big Ten, I mean, it's kind of the... I guess the fun thing to do would be to be like, who's next, right? Like, oh, this is all so fun. And then you think of like an Oregon State, Washington State, or like a NC State that could be left out in the cold here. But um, I don't think the Big Ten has to move. And I think we always have to take a step back. And like, once you add one or two, it's like, oh, they're going to get to 20. They're going to do this. That's probably going to be the case, but they don't have to. And the reason they're doing this is for money. So which of these schools left is going to bring them more money? Um, you know, obviously Notre Dame does that. Does North Carolina. That's like the next school on my list. Like if, if I'm doing this, like North Carolina to me, given the brand that they are, maybe not with football, but it's a good school and it's a great basketball program. And the football program has had some success and still has uh, some cachet. And it gets you into a market as much as that matters that is really big. Like that's the number, that's a top 10 market, uh, that Raleigh Durham area. Like that, that's a, that's a big market there, uh, that Chapel Hill gets you into, but more importantly, I think it's more of a brand. I think Washington, Oregon makes sense. If you want to do a pod, Joey, but do you need it? I, I don't know. Like those two markets make sense to me. Seattle, you know, Portland is, is not that close to Eugene, but it's close enough that you can consider it that, um, those make sense, but do they make any more sense than, Missouri or you know what I mean like so if, if I'm going just by fun and not thinking about all these things I think Notre Dame makes sense for the conference I think Missouri and Kansas make sense for the conference like when you talk about geographical footprint rivalries that they could add to this you could have Iowa Nebraska you know Missouri Illinois like that's a, that's a fun thing to have there and I just think North Carolina would be great like, I, I just think it's a, it's a huge program uh, athletic department that brings a lot of cachet. So I think it makes a lot of sense. I think Miami makes sense from a lot of figures of academics, the the brand that it has. I just don't know if that fits what you want. Like that, that football program, is that what you want to bring in or is that SEC sitting all over it? So um, I would go Notre Dame, North Carolina, Missouri, and Kansas for my druthers, but I think Notre Dame, North Carolina, makes sense. And I, I haven't mentioned Stanford, but I, I think it makes a lot of sense. I just don't know if it grows the pie enough for the Big Ten to, to go there. 
Yeah, remember every school you add is another school you're dividing this pot of revenue by. But I think the Oregon football brand speaks for itself. Like that is something I, if I'm the Big Ten, I would like them to be a part of our our party here because that's a pretty good football brand. Yeah, and, and to get into that, you know, kind of own the West Coast then, right? With USC, UCLA, Washington, Oregon. Those are the main brands. I think Stanford could be involved there. Um, but yeah, like, is that, is that what the big 10 manifest destiny is like, do they want to go West or are they going to be more pick and choose here? I'm not sure. So following up on that, in your opinion, five years from now, what will college football look like? How many conferences are we going to have? You know, the day this was all happening, Joey, I was like, I think the ACC will survive, right? Like it was kind of my assumption that there's going to be another one that survives here. And then that day, all of a sudden, everybody's talking about like, oh, the ACC is going to be picked apart. The grant of rights um, doesn't look so good for the ACC right now, especially the programs are going to get out. But I think you're seeing with the Big 12 being aggressive going after these Pac-12 schools. I think there's room for a third and maybe fourth conference to survive. Maybe it's not the SEC. Maybe it's not the Big 10. But, you know, if, if the Big 10 doesn't go after Oregon and Washington, doesn't want them. Like, I think it makes sense for the, the Big 12 to swallow them up or for the Pac-12 to survive as this lesser conference, but still a very good conference, kind of like we see already with the Pac-12. Like, the Pac-12 is not a good conference right now. And it's why USC is is leaving, but it's still reputable. You can still find a way to get to the college football playoff. You can still make a lot of money doing it. And I still think just because uh, it's harder to get to the, you know, college football playoff that doesn't mean people stop watching big 12 football or people stop watching pac 12 football like it still matters regionally um so i'm not sure exactly what it looks like i think you're gonna have the two supreme conferences obviously but i do think there's room for two other at least one other major conference to survive i just think you're going to see a lot more representation in the college football playoff from sec and big 10 yeah, I'm exactly with you. I, I think three makes sense, but four wouldn't surprise me. I just, I mean, they're just not going to be on the same level as the Big Ten and the SEC. But when we talk about this, like we're talking Power Five, right? Because, like, what does this look like for the Conference USA's of the world, the American conferences of the world? Like, obviously, that that to me feels like when we talk about this, it's like one double A. And I don't mean to be disparaging to them, but like that, they're not. Doesn't it already like, you know, like we're all talking about, like, do, do the bowls survive? If the bowl system survives, does a lot change? I mean, we're already seeing the same teams get to the college football playoff. I think the biggest thing that would change is Oregon state, Washington state. You might be in the mountain West now, right? Like, so for, there's going to be about 15 schools. I'd be worried about, like, I think you're having consolidation among the power conferences, but does a lot change at the end of the day that, Hey, Illinois is not competing in the same league as Ohio State, even though they are in the same league. I, I still think there's haves and have nots. It's just you happen to be a, a have not in a have conference. Like, I don't know if a lot changes other than, you know, consolidation of power, consolidation of resources. And certainly there's going to be some, some teams left uh, out that maybe fall a level here, Joey, but I don't know if the way we look at the college football, how we crown a champion, is it going to be all that different other than we're probably going to have an expanded playoff. They're going to make more money on it. And we're going to see a lot of the same teams in the college football playoff. 
Yeah, and to your point, if the bull system stays, it's, it doesn't feel other than like some power consolidated, like you said, some teams falling. I don't really feel like much changes there, but it's just it's it's interesting as we talk about all this. There is still like that other tier of FBS football that I don't really think. I guess I didn't think of in my day to day on January, on you know July seventh, twenty twenty one. I'm probably not thinking about them the same time a year later. But like, what determines success for like a MAC team now? If you get to a bowl game, that's a huge success. If you win your conference championship, like that's the thing. And then maybe every once in ten years, you get to a BCS or New Year's Six game. Like that's the crowning thing it's you're not you're not getting into the college football playoff anyway so does that change i don't know if, if anything changes for that level of school between the sec and the big 10 who won the realignment if we just ended it with what's happened so far so texas and oklahoma with the sec or usc and ucla with the big 10 it's it's the sec right i mean those are two premier football programs I, I know texas has been what texas has been the last however many years but they're coming arch Manning just changed texas for the next four years it's like I, those are two football brands like traditional football powerhouses and when we talk about this the conversation always comes back to football like there, there's us usc is usc but ucla isn't one of texas or oklahoma so to me those two make sense and also there's like there's still a quote regional footprint there, right? Like if that matters to anyone, it might not, it probably doesn't, but that still exists. It's interesting. I, I almost consider, and this is kind of probably crazy to a lot of people, like Texas USC, I feel like is a draw. Cause I think USC football has been as good as Texas, if not better than Texas, even through the Clay Helton years, like Texas has been awful, right? Like for, for Texas standards, the difference is, Austin, Texas is a college football town. Uh, LA is not, but LA also comes with a huge market share. I don't know what the Longhorn Network is bringing in for the SEC. So obviously people pay attention to Texas, but um, both are really good programs, schools, all of that. I, I think the edge goes to the SEC because Oklahoma is way better um, in college football, especially than, than UCLA. But to, to seize the LA market and get outside of what their footprint is already, which is already a national brand. I, I think you could argue is, is a win for the big 10 there, but I think the SEC is certainly adding two more prominent football programs that um, ESPN is very, very happy to add to their conference. I would say, which is the ESPN and Fox conferences right now. Uh, but I think both are huge cues. Um, I, I think, that's as good of a response that the Big Ten could have, even if it's 80 to 90%. That's a huge response because who thought the Big Ten could do that a year ago, that they'd get 80, 90% or 95% of what the SEC just got last year? Yeah, I was going to say, like, it's January 15, 2025. Ask me the same question when I walk off the beach and into Poly Pavilion to cover Illinois UCLA. Like, I don't know that my answer is going to be the same that day. I wouldn't mind going to Austin, Texas either. Fair. What's your one big storyline to watch this season for Illinois football? So Trevor and Joey, I think you guys know my one of my least favorite tweets is blank. That's it. That's the tweet. Um, the answer is Barry Loney Jr. That's it. That's the tweet, right? Like it's it's that that is the biggest storyline. I think of Illinois athletics of this entire year is Barry Loney Jr. because 
I know more people are interested in basketball and what the transfers do and what the freshmen do and all that. And, and can Illinois win another Big Ten championship, which is amazing that we're talking about that. For the athletic department, Barry Loney Jr. is the storyline of the year because I think Ryan Walters will have a competitive defense, right? Like, is it as good as last year figures-wise? I don't know, but I think it'll be competitive. The only reason Illinois didn't make a bowl game last year was because Tony Peterson and Brett Bielema's offense was not good enough. Brett Bielema makes the change, as he should have, and now you bring in Barry Loney Jr. What can he get out of the quarterbacks? Can he get Isaiah Williams the football? I know fans want Luke Ford to get the football. Can he keep the running game as good as it was last year? Can he just have a competitive middle of the road in the country offense? Illinois should go bowling. And all of a sudden, you have interest in Illinois. You're making more money in that sport, and that's good for the athletic program. So Barry Loney Jr., Joey. Okay, so my first thing is, if you're listening, tweet at Jeremy. That's it. That's the tweet. And try to bother him. Try to get him at times you think he could be irritable. Check the White Sox score. See where they're at. If they're losing, hit him with that tweet. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Like, the, the obvious answer, Jeremy, is the passing game. Like, that's that's everything that I think held Illinois back. But to be different, even though the answer clearly is the offense, in particular the passing game, is just can Ryan Walters keep this defense to a level that it was last year or improve it, which I think is going to be challenging without Kirby Joseph, without Owen Carney, without Isaiah Gay, without Rod Perry, without Tony Adams. But I, I just, I think that was such a big jump. If they can maintain that level, that's huge. And probably going to be huge for Ryan Walter's next place of employment to just to show that he can continuously do this or take an a step forward here. But if you can get that thing going again, like I, I actually messaged you, Jeremy. I was writing something. In conference play, Illinois had the number one pass defense, and they had the number three pass efficiency defense in Big Ten play in the conference. Like that, that's pretty freaking impressive considering for years we watched teams just throw it all over the yard against Illinois with almost no resistance even whatsoever. Now, of course, that all changed after the Virginia game where they got – exactly picked apart like that but uh, what he did with that defense was really impressive they're starting to get some of their guys in there now don't know how soon they'll be ready but some of them could be if he can do that again that's that's big for Illinois that's really really big for Ryan Walters I want to do three quick other storylines one can Isaiah Williams get to a thousand total yards from scrimmage I think it's possible um, but Illinois had just one receiver over 300 yards last year uh, Barry Lunny had three over 750. So that, that should give you some type of optimism. Two, does the offensive line take a step back? I know the staff is high on this group, right? Like they feel comfortable with this group. They have to prove it. Um, I th That's still a concern and unknown for me, given all you lost on the offensive line. Uh, and three, Joey, specialists. You lost good kicker, good punter, good long snapper. That matters in close games, and, and we know Brett Bielema gets in a lot of close games, and uh, those things matter. I'll throw a in there. Chase Brown, if he goes for 1,000 yards, he is a top 10 rusher in Illinois football history. And we're really almost looking at, like, just two years. The 2019 year he played for, like, a half of a second, and he had 500 yards, give or take, in the COVID 2020 year. Chase Brown is still – kind of overlooked on a scale outside of Champaign-Urbana because that kid is really, really, really good at football. 
Yeah, Trevor, I'll give you a trivia question. Do you know the running backs at Illinois who have run for a thousand yards twice in their career? I think there's Michael Shore. No. He ran for 734 before he ran for the record, almost 1,700. I know. I got one. There's two. There's two, two guys. Okay. And this is just rush yards, right? This isn't it's Josh Burton catching screen passes and running. Two running backs in Illinois history have run for 1,000 yards. Yeah, one of them is Robert Holcomb. Robert Holcomb did it three times yeah. from 95, 96, 97. The second one, I, I was just looking this up. I, I, we're working on, spoiler alert, we're working on our uh, position primers. I was just looking this up. Former radio guy with uh, Jim Turpin back in the day and Brian Barnhart, Jim Grabowski, uh, who's one of the highest drafted Illini. I think he was number one in the AFL draft. But yes, like Mikel Ashore did not do it. Richard Mendenhall, Pierre Thomas did not do it. Howard Griffith did not do it. Thomas Rooks did not do it. Chase Brown has the chance to do that this year. It's crazy. What has been your favorite summertime Underwoodism? Oh man, this this is hard. This was a, probably the hardest one when you sent out the list, Trevor. So I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna go recency bias because I don't want to. Like Austin Hutcherson was here. Like there's so much hype around him. I, I feel kind of bad picking him. So I, I'm still imagining the day that Omar Payne and Kofi Coburn play together. And Omar Payne is hitting mid-range jump shots, which was at least in some capacity a discussion last offseason. A lot of a discussion. It wasn't just Underwood. It was uh, Jeff Alexander as well. Mine is, if you notice, I know he uses the term elite as much as P.J. Fleck in the offseason, but he's always talking about passing. Brad Underwood is obsessed with passing and he talks about whether it was mark smith remember he's calling him jason kidd matisse Vasile is an elite passer you're hearing it about ty rogers you're hearing it about all of the matthew meyer like all of these guys are elite passers like he cares more about that i imagine brad underwood just watching john stockton and nikola Jokic all day like that's all he does like those two players he just loves passing so dang much so that's that's the offseason that's that's all he wants to talk about is passing i think elite defender also comes up like if passing's a majority defender is not a far second jeremy took mine with the uh reminiscent of jason kidd line that was that's hard to top no offense to to mark if you had to pick one i know fans love this which illini football game would you label as this year's big swing game See, I know Northwestern always gets the most pub because it's a lot of times it's like one of those teams could be playing for a bowl game at the, in the very last game. But for me, it's Purdue, and it's always Purdue for me. Um, I've long said I think they're sister schools, like they're basketball schools, an hour and a half apart. They kind of are just looking to be competitive and be a solid football program. Um, and But Purdue has owned this series. They've won 13 of the last 17, including five of the last six, the one year Illinois beat Purdue, they went to a bowl game in 2019. Remember the monsoon game, but it was a huge swing game that kind of, you know, after that Wisconsin upset was like, oh, okay, this team might have something. Uh, so they kind of used that game to kind of propel themselves. But Illinois, if they would have won last year, they would have they would have made a bowl game. And I think it's the game you have to win. You know, you can put Purdue, Minnesota, Northwestern, and Nebraska. I think those are games. You got to win 
two or three of those, if you're going to have a chance at a bowl game. But for me, it's it's always Purdue. And I think Illinois matches up pretty well against them with Ryan Walter's defense, with how they throw the ball. They don't run the ball that well. I think it's a good matchup for Illinois. That's why I thought it was such a, a bad loss for them last year, given what your defense did. Um, and Aiden O'Connell comes in late and, and is able to, to marshal them the victory. But your offense failed you that game. So they can't have that happen this year. Was the 2019 monsoon? Was that also the Blake Hayes pylon punt game? Yeah, Tony Adams pick six. That should be the punt game. Should be how it's how it's referred to moving forward. Jeremy, I think you and I might have had definition different definitions of like swing game. I assumed it wasn't so much like a program one on one versus just a point in the schedule that could swing where the season is. And, And for that, I'll say the sixth game against Minnesota. Like you, that's a big one there because you you'd have your non-conference and you assume you probably they would probably be okay against a Chattanooga, probably against a Wyoming at home. Like I, they should probably be favored against Wyoming at home. But let's be honest here. But then Virginia is going to be a tough one. At Indiana is going to be a, a challenge. So you could go into that game four and two. You could go into that game. Nope, my math might not be right. You go figure. You go in there four and two. You could go in there three and three because you do have Iowa. You do have Wisconsin at Wisconsin. Th- those aren't particularly fun and uh, places to to be there. But coming out of that, what if you win that game? If you host men and you're hosting them, you beat them at their place last year, you could be above thought, 500 after seven games. I thought you dominated them last year, right? Like, And, and listen, PJ, I'm not a fan of all his stuff. Uh, but he's been pretty good there. And I thought he just got completely outcoached in that game. And, and, and you wonder, you know, I know there's stuff that's come out about some players griping about him, but um, I think that's a game, like, again, kind of like Purdue, like you got to win those. You got to beat Nebraska. You got to beat Northwestern Purdue. Like if you want to take a step as a program, I'm not saying you got to win every one of them, but you got to win a couple of those. So I, I don't disagree with you, especially the swing of that schedule. Because if you're under 500 after that game, or at 500, wherever you would be, like that's yeah, that gets Nebraska, really tough because you got Michigan, Nebraska, Michigan State, Michigan State Purdue, Michigan. I mean that that could be one where you could maybe feel pretty good coming out of that after seven games. If you're above 500, like you, that's some some momentum to take forward there, especially knowing you're going to come off of a swing at Wisconsin and home against Iowa. That that could be both a little bit of a bounce back if it comes down to that, and maybe a, a kickstart into that second half and a bull push. And finally, having just wrapped up the 4th of July holiday, give me your perfect cookout plate. Jimmy, go ahead, because I'm going to get ridiculed, so let's just save the ridicule for last. <laughs> go ahead. I mean, you know me, I'm, I'm a simple man when it comes to, to these kind of things. So just, um, you know, I, I'm a big fried chicken fan, so I wouldn't disagree if someone went there. I, I get the burger thing, but give me brats, man. Give me a couple brats on the plate some kind of potato salad or macaroni salad. That's a little refreshing. I know Joey hates that because he hates mayonnaise, but I'm going with that corn on the cob grilled, preferably uh, with some butter and salt on the side. I want a little chips. I don't care. I don't need to be fancy. I don't need like potatoes cooked up. Just give me some potato chips of some kind and and some kind of domestic beer. uh, I'm fine with. So that's it. That it's simple for me. Brought some kind of salad with mayonnaise in it potato or macaroni corn on the cob chips and a beer 
Okay, first of all, shout out if someone's making like pulled pork that they've they've had on the smoker for eight to ten hours. You're the MVP. I think we would all take the pulled pork as the number one pick on the potato or on the uh, cookout plate. I'm you not know, giving that much pork. effort, Joey. I'm not giving that much effort. You know, I, I shout out to my best friend who we Saturday night at about nine o'clock put it on the the smoker nine p.m. Delicious the next day. It's really an MVP move if you can pull it off. Who is he, Brett Barons? With this Friday smoker thing that he does? I don't know. Brett's never invited us over, so <laughs> it, it could be. Um, burger or brat with just ketchup. Don't need anything more than that. Just ketchup. Cheese, obviously, if you're doing a burger. I want nothing to do with potato salad, whatever other macaroni salad, regular salad. None of that. I don't need any of that. Like baked beans would be fine. Heavy on, throw some brown sugar in there if you can, if you've got it on hand, preferably. Uh, corn on the cob's good. It, boy, it is a lot of work, especially if you're really drinking. It's like, uh, is it really worth all the effort for corn on the cob? Probably it's fine. Uh, watermelon, uh, a nice, juicy piece of watermelon. Joey getting and, fruit. That, that's the upset of the century. Yeah, we saw that coming. Uh, I'm with you on a, like chips, like uh, the, the kitchen cooked chips. Those are just the perfect. I have some. I'm waiting for this to wrap up. I'm going to run through probably the rest of the bag. What's, what's then, your yeah, okay. kettle chip? Do you have like a go-to brand? I don't know. This, what's on sale at, at this point is really the go-to. Old school crunchers. Like that's 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 mine. That's what I grew up on, crunchers. So I like like some of the the baked chips are okay, but the kettle kettle chips are the play. And then yeah, a, a Bud Light, maybe a craft beer if you're having a bunch of food just to get a, a cleanse your palate maybe get a little full relax and then start to go go a little heavier in the domestic beer yeah. trevor where were you at jeremy nailed that just give me a burger i love potato salad sorry joey any kind of potato salad pasta salad macaroni whatever and those kettle chips those kettle chips are good you know like the colored bags there's like a jalapeno one that's good like just give me a little of that if we're going non-alcoholic, I'd take like a strawberry lemonade too. That that works. But you know a chip that I've gotten into lately that I would have hated 10 years ago. Like I was I would have been like Joey with anything with flavor in it. Um, the salt and vinegar chips. Like they the cat like I've gotten into that a little bit. My my palate is evolving a little bit, Trev. So I'm not I, sure I can go as acidic as either the dill pickle or the salt and vinegar yet, but maybe I'll get there. Also, I wanted to to bring up what is it about heavy food that feels refreshing? Like the potato macaroni, it's like refreshing yet it's so heavy. I don't get how that works, Trev. Very dense yet refreshing. That is true. I don't get. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an answer for that, but it's a very good point. What is the overrated cookout food that if you get there, someone's like, "Hey, we got this." You're rolling your eyes. It might be beans for me, if that counts. I, I'm just not a big, like, chili bean type of guy. Probably sweets for me, Joey. Like, I don't need a cake. I don't need cookies. I don't need all that. Just give me meat and some carbs. Like, I, I don't need the the, the sugar uh, involved, uh, especially if I'm drinking a beer, which I'm probably going to be doing at a cookout. So, I mean, I don't know if there's, like, a meat. Like, I'll eat ribs if there's ribs. Like burgers don't get me that excited, but like it's a burger, I'm gonna eat it. Um, so I don't know if there's a meat that you can go wrong with. It's a grilled meat, it's not overrated. 
it's not overrated, but if I go somewhere and they're like, hey, we're growing up some hot dogs, like you've got to have 35 of those to fully feed people because if you give me two hot dogs, I'm going to be angry. That, that, that they, better, they better not be like the the Oscar Mayer brand. Like they better be all beef hot dogs. Uh, so that you're right, Joey. And you know they got the package of 50 for a nickel. Yeah. And they're going to put them on there and they're going to be horrible and probably burnt. No one wants that. If you're having to cook out broths, burgers, give me a pork chop type deal, or ideally smoke, smoke a piece of meat, man. Get some pulled pork. That's a good call, Joey. That's why a brat is a is an adult hot dog. It's a fancy version of a hot dog, right? So go with the brat. Do you like the cheddar and jalapeno? Just a, a standard guy? Cheddar. Yeah. Cheddar. Yeah. Give me some I cheddar. Like, I don't like the cheese in them. There's something weird about that cheese. It doesn't okay. uh, it doesn't seep out correctly. It's like, I don't know. I can give these shout outs to Bloomington Meats. They have a pineapple brat. They got a little brown sugar in there. Hawaiian brats, brown sugar, some cheese. Oh, man. It's fantastic. I, I don't know who won that one, but I don't think either of us were wrong. I think uh, I think we all got that uh, with the... That was the, the most across-the-board, level-headed, yeah. correct food takes we've had yet. I think all of those things were acceptable. I don't think we should anger anybody uh, with any of those, which we didn't do our job, if that's the case. We've got to come up with better questions next time. All right, that'll do for us on the Atlanta Enquirer podcast. Thank you to Matt Fortuna, Joey Wagner, Trevor Belize, as always, uh, for helping us out here. And thank you to you for listening to the Atlanta Enquirer podcast. If you don't already, give us a follow wherever you get your podcast. We're on basically every place you can get your podcast apple spotify stitcher all of them uh, google you can find us all there subscribe to us follow us uh, and give us a rating and review if you could that always really helps us out just take 10 seconds and do that right now if you could we'd appreciate that because it really really helps us out also check us out on our youtube page you can find our interviews on there you can find our podcasts you can find our interviews with Illini players, coaches, whenever we do them as well. And uh, we do our daily dishes. We put up some uh, daily content up there. So if you're on YouTube as much as I am and want to get some Illini Inquirer content, check us out there as well. But everybody, have a great weekend. Take care of each other. And we'll talk to you next time right here on the Illini Inquirer podcast. CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.